You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 18th of May 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller on today's show. Apollon har bygget de her bunker til katastrofesituationer. Der er sørget for alt. Catastrophes? We don't know how serious this is. To dub or not to dub, how Netflix has discovered that its audiences can't read and think at the same time. My guests Matt Alagaya, Melkin Charchoglian and Daniel Bates will desist from their incessant prattle about the royal wedding just long enough to discuss this and the day's other top stories, including the chances of Italy's new governing coalition lasting until the end of this programme, why the vandalism of an advertising billboard in London has resulted not in the arrest of the perpetrators but praise from the local MP, and the on- ongoing reinvention of Anthony Scaramucci. This time four years ago, they said Donald Trump couldn't win. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 24 right now. So, welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Monocle's Matt Alagaya, Melkin Charchoglian and Daniel Bache. Welcome all to the show. First of all, the good news. Italy might have a government. The bad news, the government Italy might have. The once unlikely prospect of the Yahoo coalition between cranky left-wing populists Five Star and cranky right-wing populists Lega has come a step closer with the publication of a joint policy programme. The manifesto is long on big spending promises and conspicuously short on how these might be paid for. The two parties have not yet nominated a Prime Minister, a job neither five-star leader Luigi Di Maio nor Lega's Matteo Salvini appear keen on. Uh, Melkin, first of all, how, how excited are you for this budding experiment in, in populist governorship? Governance? Ex- governance? Governance was the word I wanted. I, ex- excited isn't quite correct. I'm more terrified because um, well, Cinque Stelle fine, not quite as terrifying, but the Lega Nord really is because it's it's a true nuts right-wing party with a medieval warrior on its crest and you know the the line of saint mark on there as well for good measure and they have all the regalia and all the mysticism pseudo history um of say i don't know the bnp um you know at one point they even uh, petitioned for the secession for the secession that's right yeah uh, of of the the po valley from the northern part of Italy, from the rest of Italy. Um, so they're the really concerning party in this coalition. We, we are at quite a pretty pass, Matt, are we not? When Five Star are the side of the coalition, you're not all that worried about relatively. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it is, as, as Melkon says, it's quite a, a scary thought. But to be honest, it, it's interesting. I wonder how long, even if there was a coalition, how long it could possibly last. And that is another slightly scary thing, because... If you I mean, at, it, 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 this, is, this is an Italian coalition. It may have split up already. I am continually hitting refresh <laughs> over here. Just in case. If, if there's an update, I'll let you all know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, live on air. Um, uh, to be honest, yeah, I think it, it's worrying in part because if they are a completely impotent coalition and can't get anything through then you sort of worry about the state of Italy because at the moment it is in such kind of dire straits, mostly economically as well, what I'm talking about. You know, we know that the, the public debt is sort of over 130% now of, uh, of GDP. So it's kind of, it, it, Italy needs a lot of action and it needs it quite fast. And I'm, I'm worried that it wouldn't get it even if we did get this coalition. Uh, Daniel, if this turns out to be a chaotic and disorganised coalition that can't actually get anything done in the circumstances, that'd be quite a result, wouldn't it? 
In what sense? Well, if if these people go, it, it's a, it's a, akin to Donald Trump. The saving mm-hmm. grace of his administration is that he he's incapable of actually getting anything done. Oh, I think that has a lot to do with the system in Italy. Uh, no matter who is in power, but this one uh, seems to be deemed to fail. I mean, in the Financial Times today, uh, they say that it's this is all clouded by political infighting, institutional constraints, and what they call bureaucratic inertia. They are so hard. uh, It's so hard for anyone coming in in Italy uh, to cut through the tape and just to, to, you know, get anything done. They've come up with 39 pages, I think, of of this this deal that um, sets out their common uh, commonalities. They're so far apart, uh, first of all, and they've come up with with basically a committee that's going to go through these column, these uh, basically uh, everything they they have in common, which is very little. Um, and that that body is being called the Grand Council of Fascism right now. Well, that's something to look forward to. Um, <laughs> Melkin, leaving aside uh, the the ludicrous prospect of these these two populist movements coming together and forming a a functional government, and leaving aside the fact that they haven't really explained how a country with one hundred and thirty percent public debt measured against GDP is going to pay for any of this, or indeed pay for anything, um, what do we think of the ideas, the flat income tax, the basic monthly income for the poor, etc.? Well, none of them actually coincide. People are forgetting the fact that Cinque Stelle is not a, a straightforward party. It's neither quite left nor right. Its ideas are slightly splintered. So I understand the Legonord, uh, it ran its campaign on the promise of a flat 15% income tax rate, hugely popular with small business owners in Italy, etc. Um, Cinque Stelle is, is a little more progressive. You know, it wants, it wants a minimum income. Uh, it wants a minimum salary for everyone, ever, in everyone in the country, which is incredibly popular with its supporters in the south. So you automatically have a divide there. Um, I can't imagine them agreeing on all the correct points. Immigration, they're both tough, but the league is much tougher than, than, than the than movement. Um, and I mean, there is the worry that, for example, the Legonor does get into the interior ministry and imposes incredibly harsh immigration laws. Uh, but again, I think we're getting... We're looking too far ahead. I don't think they're even get, going to get past the first hurdle of sort of, you know, fundamental agreements. Uh, Matt, if they do, uh, will this prompt the rest of the European European Union, indeed, to hit the panic stations button? I think so. I mean, you know, we've seen obviously the, the visa grad nations in, in the east of the EU challenging the sort of the central tenets of the union. But this would be a huge economy and one of the Western European, big Western European powers with a sort of Eurosceptic government in place. We haven't seen that before. I mean, you know, Marine Le Pen came pretty close in France, but was pretty roundly beaten in the second round. But actually, you know, if this did happen, this would be a, a really major serious thing and a, and a threat to to the, the bloc's kind of, yeah integrity, I think. Well, what kind of options does that leave the EU with, Daniel? Because this this has happened a few times in the past when an EU country has elected a government which is perhaps not ideal as far as the, the EU establishment is concerned, most notably, I guess, in Austria uh, and in Hungary. The trouble is, from the EU's perspective, is almost anything they do by way of reaction to it is just going to further entrench the people who voted for these people in the first place, isn't it? I think so. And, and right now, a lot of the headlines are about how 
how concerned the EU should be, especially when uh, one of the first conversations that this, this proposed Italian coalition is having is is how they characterize the debt that they have, so that they can they can already say, oh, well, we'll pay just a little bit, uh, a little bit less. But I mean, as Melkin says, I think they're not going to get past uh, the first hurdle. But um, it, it's it's extremely concerning to see to see what comes what comes of this. Okay, well, let's move along uh, and look closer to where we are sitting, specifically at the East London suburb of Walthamstow. This is where a couple of local citizens have won the commendation of their MP for perpetrating an act of principled vandalism. A billboard advertising a police programme called Bulletproof, depicting two actors therefrom, clad in flak jackets and toting pistols, has been whimsically defaced, the weapons overlaid with cartoons of a carrot and a hairdryer, though you can do quite serious damage with both of those things. The IT consultant and school teacher who defaced the ad said they thought the billboard was an inappropriate addition to the streetscape of an area which has suffered some of London's recent spike in stabbings and shootings. Um, Daniel, first of all, basically, do we agree with what they have done here? Uh, the the vandals, as it were. The vandals, as it were, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I absolutely think so. I think this is a very small gesture, and I'm honestly surprised that it doesn't happen more often. We see these uh, we see these kind of billboards and these advertisements and movie trailers, and and they are very violent. And I often question when flipping through, you know, the selections on on Netflix and things, why we continue to make more shows about violence and it, it isn't this it, but isn't this somebody want to address the i the question that this is this is the marilyn manson caused columbine argument isn't the idea mm-hmm. that people are incapable uh, of sort of separating amusement from real life and and also i think it's a not in it's an it's a not small part of the issue here is that the two people d- depicted toting guns on the billboard are police officers yes. they're supposed to have guns mm-hmm. And also, it's not it's not selling a reality in the same way it's a fashion avatar. It's not selling an idealized reality that the, a person would aspire to. And actually, if they do aspire to, I mean, that's kind of great. They're aspiring to be a police officer. Fine. But it, it's selling clearly a fiction in the same way that violent computer games don't make you go out and, you know, shoot everyone. I mean, that's been proven to be a very sort of rudimentary and quite idiotic premise put forward, you know, in the same way we don't outlaw screenings of The Godfather in Sicily because in my, you know, further ignite um, the Matthew Wars. <laughs> um, Matt, it, there is, I mean, there are all sorts of weirdnesses about how people react to images uh, of various behaviours. If, if you put up, and this has happened time and time again, if you put up a billboard which is sexually suggestive beyond a certain point, that causes way, way more uproar and argument than, for example, a fairly harmless picture of two actors dressed up as police officers with guns will. That is true. I mean, I guess, yeah, we there are lots of people out there who are a bit more conservative and prudish about that kind of thing. I mean, we need to put this a little bit into some context. I mean, the first five months of this of this year, we've seen a, a sort of massive upsurge in um, violent crime in London, including stabbings and shootings. So it, it's in that context that these two people have kind of done this vigilante thing. And it's also in that context that it's a story as well. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if the, you know, the Guardian and people would have picked up on this quite as quickly if there hadn't been this this crime wave. So 
I think people are very sensitive to the idea that violence is being glamorized. At the same time, I completely agree with you that there, there, there was a, a billboard, I think, I mean, it's probably going back 10, 15 years now, but it was of uh, a rapper and it, he had a microphone in one hand and a gun in another hand. And it was a, it was a picture of him. And I th- I'm pretty sure that 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 got a, that billboard got a lot of uh, sort of criticism. And also, I think it was banned because that very much did glamorize violence. You know, everyone kind of wants to be a rock star or a rapper or whatever and having a microphone and a gun in exactly the same picture just one in each hand like the auburn scepter yeah it, it was it was a bit it was a bit crazy whereas this is is police officers and as as Malcolm says this you know we kind of want people to be police officers it, it, it's fine if that is glamorized and another question you know which is interesting that the um one of the actors in this said i wonder if this would have happened if i were white because the two mm. the two police officers mm. depicted are black and a lot of the the crime that we're seeing at the moment the violent crime in london is between young black people so it's interesting to see whether that would have even been remarked on had it been two white police officers. I did actually think the actor who pointed that out had quite a good point. It it does. I I do wonder what it was that really did get sort of uh, triggered in the heads of the IT consultant and the school teacher. Who did, we've learned a lot about Walthamstow from those two uh, occupations right there. Um, they did liken it, uh, Daniel, to uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, has taken mm-hmm. action against tube ads and so forth, promoting uh, unhealthy food and unhealthy body image. Is, is it actually comparable, though? I mean, I don't think so. I think those are two two separate arguments. Uh, I, I think Sadiq Khan has a really good uh, agenda there that is that is one serious crisis that that can be tackled in different ways but in, as far as as far as violent crime um, I, I don't I don't see how those those two sit together I mean it is Melkin it, it, it's an it's an unhappy accident it does happen with advertising you you put up what strikes you as a perfectly harmless billboard and mm. then some other wider context develops around it which can make your ad look a somewhat crass or insensitive or out of place Yes, I think this is a question specifically of that specific ad in that specific place at that time. It's not a question of advertising in general. Can we now advertise violent TV shows? I mean, if the answer is that we we must kind of censor all billboards like we have this one, then we can't ever have horror films. We you know we we can't ever cross cross that line. So I think just a case case of that billboard in Walthamstow. I don't think this this goes any greater about the the you know the abstract question of advertising. But actually, actually they did it in quite a cute way as well. Have you seen that? Was it a carrot uh, and a hairdryer? It was a, it was a cartoon of a carrot and a hairdryer. And again, I think we learned quite a lot about Walthamstow right there. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Um, I mean, where did cu- she get that as well? <laughs> cu- currently, London's preeminent capital of of twee whimsy, and in every way an inferior suburb to the the very closely neighbouring Leytonstone. Mississippi may take. Uh, Let me take you up on that, uh, Matt. Should a uh, should a member of I'm, this is great fun. I'm getting into proper like Y O Y mid market tabloid columnist territory here. But should <laughs> a member of Parliament, I'm banging the table there for emphasis, be actually commending people for committing an act of vandalism as Walthamstow's MP Stella Creasy has? I can see you, yeah, writing this piece in in, in the Sun tomorrow morning, getting furious. <laughs> Their money's um, as good as anyone's. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I, I don't have a particularly strong feelings about it. I think it is an act of vandalism, but I think it comes from a pretty good place. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think she's probably in quite a difficult position because she doesn't want to say, "Okay, this is this is vandalism. You must take it down." Um, 
because it comes from a good place. But equally, you know, she's in she's in a borough that has a lot of crime. So it's it's a really diff- difficult position for her to be in. I think she's probably done the right thing by applauding it. I think it does come from a good place and you need to respect when your citizens, yeah, like do something like this. OK, well, we are going to take a short break now. You're listening to Midori House with me, Andrew Muller, along with Matt Alagaya, Milken Charchoglian and Daniel Bates. Coming up next, a very plausible contender for the title of worst idea in the whole history of everything ever. Weighing in at almost 400 pages, the Monocle Guide to Cozy Homes is packed with everything you need to know about making a great place to live. The book is filled with handsome residences and all the contacts you need to make a home that will last a lifetime. And it's a book that celebrates the people who know homes should be able to cope with kids, dogs and a few scuff marks too. It's a book that knows a home is only as good as the community it's in. And it's a book that takes you through the front doors of everything from mountain hideaways to modernist towers. So be cosy and buy your copy today at monocle.com. You are back with Midori House with me, Andrew Muller. Still with me are Melkin Charchogli and Daniel Bech and Matt Alagaya. Now, for obvious reasons, the idea of making a tacky antagonistic television show about Donald Trump's White House seems the very definition of redundancy. However, because this is what the world is like now, it seems to be the case that such a thing is being pitched to American cable networks. The idea appears to be that Michael Avenatti, currently acquiring a degree of profitable infamy as the lawyer of Stormy Daniels, will pair up and or square off with Anthony Scaramucci, who listeners may recall having been White House Communications Director for slightly less long than it takes to say his name. Um, I'm pretty excited about this as a big, big Anthony Scaramucci fan. Um, <laughs> Melkin, if if this is ever made, would you be tuning in? I would, honestly, I'd be up at four in the morning, pay-per-view, in my boxes, bowl of popcorn watching this. <laughs> I, I just want to get under the sure, semantics. Our listeners are grateful for that image, Melkin. <laughs> so the Mooch and also Avenatti squaring a- off. Avena- get- Avenatti needs a nickname. It's got to be yeah. the Mooch and the. Uh, that, that, they, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they've got good the, people working on they've this. They've probably got twenty little you know, yeah, taglines yeah. for them. So what? They square off in a cage in a pay-per-view style fight I, in I, Las Vegas. I don't know if there's a cage involved. Um, I, I think this is excellent. Though. Or is you, this a street you, fight? You should get it. You should get in touch with somebody. I was going to say, Malcolm, you need to definitely you know get in touch with one of these production companies. So I think you know. I'm in the wrong wrong job. I think I should be. <laughs> Um, well, keep talking. Um, no, no, I, I like I like this idea. The idea of them in in uh, you're thinking of this as a sort of actual contact sport, a kind of ultimate fighting. Yeah, almost like MMA cross with WWE, where you have like the bit of showmanship and theatre, and oh my god, it's his mother, and she's smashing the mooch <laughs> over the back with a chair. But actually, really intense MMA fighting as well. Um, Matt, on a, on, a, on, a, on a scale of, of one to ten, if we think of a, a some sort of chat show involving Avenatti, and it's got to be something and the mooch. Avenatti Nat. and... The Nat, the Nat, no. the Nutcracker, the Nutcracker. Nut yeah, he need it, no. It, it's 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 got to be at least three or four syllables and the mooch. It's okay. got it's got the you've got to sort of go up the hill and then fall off the edge of it. It's that's how these these things work. Um, that's quite a good analogy for this TV show, I believe. Well, <laughs> Avenatti and the mooch. You don't you can't Aven, get better Aven, than that. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, I, I you need the four syllables, Avenatti and the mooch. That that's rhythmically. It sounds uh, like correct. a children's tale, like a very bad <laughs> children's story. 
it. <laughs> it, 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 it might it might well become one. I mean, the, the franchising options here are absolutely immense. Um, Matt, on on a scale of one to ten, how how crushing is the sense of inevitability that you are presently experiencing about this? As in, is it going to happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's got gold plated, <laughs> platinum selling TV show all over it. Um, I'm kind of amazed. Like. I, I feel like in the UK you don't see enough of the Mooch anymore because he was in, he was in our lives for about two weeks and it was great and it was wonderful. Was it as long as that? It was, a, was it uh, maybe less than two weeks? Yeah, I think it was it was maybe nine working days or something. <laughs> um, but he yeah he kind of brought a, it was a ray of sunshine in our lives and then he disappeared and unfortunately because we don't get cable TV here <laughs> uh, we just haven't seen much of him. So here I, in I'd the dark really, ages, I'd really welcome that. Um, One yeah, press briefing good. and he it totally outdoes and eclipses everything Sarah Huckabee Sanders has ever said. <laughs> We have to get this man back on TV. The, 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 I'm just trying to think now what the Sarah Huckabee Sanders TV franchise is is going to be like. I mean, Avenatti won a half a uh, half a billion dollar verdict uh, suing Kimberly Clark for de- defective surgical gowns. This guy is a genius. Like, Brilliant. Right? There's so He's many the good storylines of his generation. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure. I, I mean, so the thing, there is obviously going to be so much more of this sort of thing as more and more of the wheels come off the Trump clown car. Do, do, does anybody here have any particular hopes for members of his team who they would like to see get their own shows one day? I mean, Scaramucci, obviously. I, I would actually... I would like to see Scaramucci in a sort of like Seinfeld variety conceit where it's it's him playing himself and it's just called <laughs> Scaramucci. <laughs> I, 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 Scaramucci about nothing. Sort yeah. of like Joey spin-off series after Friends, that sort of thing. Yeah, something, something like something like Guys, very, very we are like onto that. something. Yeah, exactly. Does someone have a pen? So, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm pretty excited about the, the the Scaramucci possibilities. But are, are there any others? Are there any other members of the Trump team bubbling under? I can imagine Kellyanne Conway doing a sort of uh, Doctor Phil slash Jeremy Kyle thing, but in a slightly political context, where maybe she goes to say developing countries and then sits down with the prime minister and you know, it, minister of the interior and really grills them, and kind of get airs all the dirty laundry. I think to the considerable bewilderment of the people she's interviewing. <laughs> um, who's the original comms director of the White House? I've, I've, there have been so many oh, what's now. his name? Um, Sean Spicer. Him. Spicy. Uh, now, oh, I this, this, this is, is why well, you want on me on your pub quiz team. Yeah, yeah. See, a better show would be Spicy and the Mooch. Like, why there it they? is. Animated TV series. Brilliant. I think the, the, the merchandise you get out of that, the stationery, for yeah, instance, yeah, yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. But where, where does this... Uh, so this Avenatti and Scaramucci fight. Does it, it's, it's built as a TV it's series. Not, I don't think it is going to be a fight, yeah, just to I, be I, clear. Well, someone needs to explain this to Melvin. I, I think, think move past the it's whole the, the idea that it's it, any physical combat is I, involved. No, but the phrase is square off. Well, but you know, you can you can you can square off in the sort of the without actual fisticuffs. No, you can't. <laughs> Mel, Mel, well, seen too lo- many billboards. You've lost me now. Um, <laughs> I've been Waltham so far I mean, too long. <laughs> uh, there is a a question which is prompted by this, I think, though a, a slightly more serious one, because obviously what this is going to end up being is that they will be set up as sort of it'll be blue on red oppositional politics. It will be oh, God, another. That sounds so boring. Well, of course, it's boring. It'll be another program of basically two angry people yelling bumper sticker slogans at each other, um, which so much of American political television is. Is there any prospect, especially given the fact that the presidency is now basically one of those shows that we are reaching critical mass on these, that people might actually think, what if we just had people, you know, talking reasonably to each other? 
like on that Midori House program on Monocle 24. <laughs> that's a wonderful dream. I, I'm, I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately, um, because this is kind of what the world wants now. It seems to want lots of shouting at everyone. And that's why real life has actually started imitating TV. I think it's gone that way rather than the other way. We didn't start with politics getting like this and then TV became like it. I think everything has become like TV now. Uh, where you just yell everything at everyone. I uh, love that the, it's a sunny the, thought for the New York too. Times points out that Avenatti has been criticized for leveraging his position to both undermine Trump and promote himself. I thought that was the definition of American cable television. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, finally tonight, uh, moving seamlessly along on the subject of American cable television, uh, if you are one of those people who thinks that films overdubbed in another language are more or less unwatchable, you are one, absolutely correct, and two, as is so very often the case when you're absolutely Absolutely correct in a minority, it turns out. Uh, Netflix looked into this earlier this year and discovered that viewers actually would rather endure a film in which the dialogue is infuriatingly out of sync with the image than go to all the trouble of reading subtitles whilst their own ears are assailed with some barbarous and incomprehensible foreign tongue. Uh, Netflix is now showing dubbed shows uh, as as the default setting. Um, Matt, what, what is wrong with everybody? <laughs> what, that they don't want to read films? Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I think purists out there definitely feel like you should you should always have subtitles. To I'm hear really, it. I'm really not a purist. It's just incredibly annoying watching people's mouths going up and down and having no bearing on what is coming out of them. And also, you'll you'll you might pick up some of the language if you actually have the have the subtitles on. It's one of those you, things you where tell like, yourself that, Matt. Well, no, but this is this is the thing between <laughs> the, the Dutch and the Germans. You know, the the Dutch have everything in English and just have subtitles. The Germans dub everything and. It's why, I mean, obviously the Germans are really good at English as well, but that's why the Dutch are so much better, is that they, they actually watch all of their TV in English with subtitles, whereas the Germans are just, you know. But I do think there's, there's a shame when uh, you have actors, because in, in Germany particularly, you have actors who play the one part for their entire life. So the guy who did Leonardo DiCaprio's voice in Titanic still does his voice. And if, if Leonardo DiCaprio has a film out every year. This guy's made. And he, he they're, they're actually celebrities. So the person who does like Homer Simpson's voice in Germany is, is a bit of a celebrity in his own right. I actually grew up watching solely dubbed films because when I was growing up in Russia, yeah, you didn't have subtitles. And for some reason, French films were very popular and we watched these French comedies with Lou de Funès and the guy who dubbed his voice was, yeah, as Matt said, a celebrity. And then also when done properly and dubbed well, you, uh, that whole thing of, you know, the mouth doesn't move, it doesn't quite match that's all gone and suddenly you develop this like really nice connection with the with with the with the character on screen because you can understand what he's saying you know the voice and the and the, and the personage are one whereas if you're just reading reading off the screen it doesn't quite have that same connection yes you might learn you know you become fluent in arabic over the course of two weeks but it's just not quite the same that, that that's my defense for it when done well it works well where are you on this daniel are you making a case for the, for the dubbing no, I, dubbing I, I've never really quite understood, to be honest. My experience with, with seeing dubbed films perhaps is, is uh, traveling <laughs> in Mexico and you hear these like terrible Spanish uh, dubs that have they don't match. You have like men dubbing women's characters and it, like, <laughs> they're like so awful. So I actually haven't seen a film that's, that's done with some care to how the, the film is shown. But I guess in, in North America, 
it's more we we see films in English in any case we see them um, in in their language and and have the subtitles. So I've I've never really uh, come across that as much. But I I think it would be so uh, it would take away so much from the film to to not have these these voices and 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 language matching what's happening on the screen. There's an interesting detail in Netflix's research in that they they looked into it and they, they spoke to their uh, audiences and their consumers. People said they much preferred subtitles, obviously, but when Netflix consulted their metrics, which reveal what people actually watch, mm-hmm. uh, they turned out to be much more likely to get all the way through something uh, if it was dubbed. What does that tell us, other than the fact that people are atrocious liars? That's just sad. <laughs> really makes me sad. I don't think it goes much, much further than, you know, yeah. People can't be bothered to read. But I think you could find hundreds of facts like that where people say they like something and actually like never do it. Like, yeah. yeah, I absolutely love reading. And the last <laughs> book they read was Harry Potter when they were like 17 <laughs> and that's it. But do you I know what actually bothers me a lot is, is the films where we've got like these historical dramas and you have people um, playing famous characters and they're like American accents, like... Um, Kevin Costner playing Robin Hood with like a <laughs> but I, Pennsylvania I, 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 accent I, I, I or whatever. Would, I would rather that than yeah. as you often get in, say, World War II dramas, somebody speaking in English but doing yeah. a German accent. Okay, yeah, that's worse. It's just or yeah. like Ed Harris playing like an SS officer. That ha- <laughs> that happens with an American accent. So, so I, I, but I would rather that yeah. than him pretending to do a German one because sure. I, I or I mean pick one either speak German mm-hmm. and put subtitles right. up yes, or or agreed. just actually speak how yeah, you speak. Yeah, no fake accents. That's the wor- That's the worst offense here for sure. Or how like English accents are just universally evil apparently. Yeah, English, exactly. English and Russian, actually, right. weirdly. Those yeah. two accents, just, just pure evil on in any film. Light and dark, English and Russian. Yeah. Okay. Perfect for spy <laughs> See, films. That, that, that's that, a, a, a double act that could compete with um, <laughs> with Spicy and the Mooch there. Um, that does bring us to the end of today's show. Matt Alagaya, Melkinshar Choglian and Daniel Bates, thank you for joining us at Midori House. The show was produced by Ben Ryland, researched by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Tom Melville. Our studio manager was Christy Evans. Music next at 1900, The Menu with Marcus Hippie. More on the day's big story on The Daily at 2200. Midori House returns on Monday. I'm Andrew Muller. Have a great weekend.